Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I think what we've seen, which has been really exciting since then, is that not only on the female founder side are you seeing, you know, kind of an exponential growth in the number of companies being started by women, which, you know, internally we track. But also from a venture capital perspective, you're also seeing both, you know, female partners being added to, you know, majority of the top tier venture funds, but also a lot of funding going towards these female founded companies. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season two of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption. From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today's interview is with Anu Dougal and Sutian Dong, the power duo behind Female Founders Fund and Women Disrupting Venture Capital. You've probably read the headlines about how much funding women-founded companies receive from investors, and those low, low numbers are no lie. That's where Anu and Sutian come in. They are reshaping traditional venture capital by creating their own early-stage fund that invests in the power of female talent. And it's not just because women are creating amazing companies, although they are, it's also because women experience greater successes and fewer failures than their male counterparts. Their portfolio includes companies like Shine, Zola, Billy, Rent the Runway, Maven, and more well-known brands. However, while that sounds glamorous now, Female Founders Fund started because of a personal drive to build something that would fill a gap in the industry, just like many other female entrepreneurs. On this episode, we'll cover Venture Capital 101, what female entrepreneurs should know about pitching VCs, why astrology was top of mind throughout our conversation, and how Anu and Sutian define success in their own lives. And now, this is The Females. Let's start with your backgrounds and how the two of you met. So in terms of my background, so prior to starting Female Founders Fund, I had co-founded an e-commerce company, very similar to Gilt, but for Indian retail. So I had been living in India and had co-founded this company in 2009. And we ended up raising about $20 million of venture capital and were eventually acquired. And 
eventually after that acquisition, I moved back to New York and started doing some angel investing and saw this opportunity where you were seeing some really interesting companies being started by women. And a lot of these women were were really having trouble getting access to that first round of angel funding or or kind of series seed funding. Mm-hmm. And so felt like there was really an opportunity to hone in on this particular demographic and to really build a brand that was not just about capital, but also about tapping into a broader ecosystem of fellow female founders who could really help in terms of shared knowledge. So that was that was really the genesis um, of Female Founders Fund. So first fund launched in 2014, which I ran on my own. And some of those portfolio companies from Fund One includes Maven Clinic, uh, Primary Kids, Eloquite, amongst others. And in 2016, Sutian and I um, started working together. And Sutian, over to you. Yeah, yeah. So this is Sutian talking. Um, so we knew and I like to joke that we met on Tinder, which uh, is not <laughs> true. But uh, as we see each other so often and spend so much time together, we are effectively, uh, we're effectively married. Uh, my background is most recently to Female Founders Fund. I had spent a number of years at a shop in New York called First Mark Capital. First Mark is one of the preeminent Series A firms in in New York. I joined the the firm in in 2009 and was doing mostly mostly consumer investing there. And and this was at a time where the New York City ecosystem was really at its its earliest stages of growing into the really robust, rich startup and technology market that it is now. And over time, I you know, was fortunate to have a front row seat in, in really just viewing the the rise of amazing startups and the rise of uh, talent coming into to, to the market. And alongside that, I had seen more and more female founders come to my door to pitch their ideas. And these founders were women with uh, really interesting backgrounds, unique points of view about the world and real venture scale ambitions. And so they all came to me pitching ideas and and wanting to build that iconic billion-dollar-plus company. Mm-hmm. As a Series A investor, which, you know, in the venture landscape is a, a little bit of a later stage investor relative to, to what we do, which is seed investing, I'd say, well, what you guys are doing, it sounds really cool, but I can't invest at the stage that your company is at. So let me know how I can be helpful for the next 12 to 18 months. And hopefully for your next round of financing, we may be a fit. And so it, it happened enough that it became really apparent to me that the pattern was that female founders were looking for that first investor to believe in them and that first investor to to believe in their ability as founders to scale as leaders and to really execute on their vision. And there was no one in the market yet doing that. And so when Anu and I met and we were actually introduced through one of our limited partners, not not through Tinder, uh, sadly, <laughs> um, you know, it made a ton of sense what Female Founders Fund was about. And so we were fortunate to, to quote unquote, uh, partner day. I sat on the investment committee of uh, the first fund and then uh, joined in 2016. And so fast forward to today where we're investing out of our, our second fund. Our first investment out of that vehicle was an Ariana Huffington's new company, Thrive Global. And we've been really fortunate to invest in a bunch of other exciting names, especially consumer brands in New York, like 
Billy, Winky Locks, uh, Shine Text, and more. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you guys have basically uh, kind of described what Female Founders Fund does, but we should mention it's also known as F3, which is means you're cool if you can abbreviate your name, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> So maybe can you guys tell us a little bit more broadly exactly what venture capital means? So if someone's listening to this podcast and they're saying Female Founders Fund, F3, this sounds kind of interesting. What what exactly is venture capital again? Because there are a lot of different ways for people to invest in companies and raise money and such. And so venture, like, I think just a broad definition would be really helpful. Yeah, sure. So um, venture capital broadly is an industry that was started like the 60s and 70s, but more institutionalized in the 80s, where uh, funds, private equity vehicles were started for the express purpose of investing in early companies where it was hard historically for them to get bank loan financing because there were no assets to, to underwrite. Venture capital today is the uh, one of the ways that entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs of high growth, high scale, high margin businesses, which oftentimes are tech-based or tech-enabled companies, to uh, raise money to, to scale their companies. And so venture capital is a form of financing that an entrepreneur may choose to take when she's building her company. Um, venture capital comes in a lot of different forms. And what we do is seed stage financing, which means we invest typically as the first institutional money. So the first fund capital in a business uh, at a very early stage, oftentimes when a company is even pre-product or, or post-product and pre-launch. And we put money in the business to invest in its growth. And so venture capital is a form of financing that entrepreneurs can take when they're investing money in their company to operate at a loss for a larger future outcome. Right, right. And a fund is essentially what you guys are running. You guys have partners where they're they're putting their money in and you're helping invest it? That's no, correct. So, well, just in terms of, I can expand a little bit on how, how we get access to the capital that, that eventually goes into these companies. So when you think about venture capital, it's a pool of capital, which also needs to be raised. So typically there's two audiences that you can raise that capital from. One of one of those audiences is individuals. So that could be your friends and family. It could be high net worth individuals. In some cases, it could also be strategic capital. So companies that are interested in investing in a fund because they want to get access to particular types of deal flow. And then the second category is institutional. So Institutional funds essentially include pension funds, endowments, foundations, and these are really forms of capital where they are, they're very much allocated towards different asset classes of which venture capital is one of them. Mm -hmm. And so, so the first fund, Team Up Founders Fund 1, was actually all individuals. So we raised money from some fantastic investors, you know, the founders of Gilt, Birchbox, Stitch Fix, some great male investors. And in fund two, we we raise capital both from individuals, but then also from institutions. Okay. And and that's great. I feel like we just went through venture capital 101. And I love it. Because <laughs> I think it's really important. And I you know, for the person who's in finance and in that world, it totally makes sense. You know, for the person who's not, sometimes it feels a little bit like we're speaking another language. And yet, when you break it down, it's very simple to understand. So we talked a little bit about why you guys wanted to start or knew originally why you started F3. I'm curious, how has F3 been disrupting the venture capital industry? I mean, being are you guys one of the only firms that's focused on just investing in women companies? 
So, I mean, I think if you rewind back five or even six years ago at this point, there were very few examples of um, female founders who'd really built venture scale businesses. And so I think at that point, you know, most VCs were looking for a very particular demographic or, or profile of founder. And, you know, that that typically looked like, call it, you know, the, the college dropout with a hoodie male. <laughs> and I think what we've seen, which has been really exciting since then, is that not only on the female founder side are you seeing, you know, kind of an exponential growth in the number of companies being started by women, which, you know, internally we track, but also from a venture capital perspective, you're also seeing both, you know, female partners being added to, you know, majority of the top tier venture funds, but also a lot of funding going towards these female founded companies. So, you know, even in our own portfolio this year, we had Zola that raised over 100 million, Tala that raised 75 million. So, you know, I think there's been a sea change in in terms of the awareness of, you know, the fact that capital needs to go towards female founders in order for for real change to happen in the industry. Right. I mean, it's about time, but <laughs> it's great that it's happening for sure. And I think, do you think this is going to have the effect on venture capital where it does start to change? I mean, it's already starting to change the conversations, but I mean, I read a stat that only 2% of venture capital dollars went to women last year. Do you think with funds like F3 around that will change because there will be either more funds that start that are just focused on women or just the fact that that happens at all will will have this ripple effect. Yeah. So the 2% of venture funding that that goes to female founders, that's going towards companies with sole female founders or companies founded solely by women. And so last year, actually, there there was a little over, I think, $12 billion that went to companies with a female founder, which though it's still not not close to, to parity in terms of the whole dollar amount that's going towards venture uh, backed companies, it's it's a decade high. And so what we're saying is that, yes, there's a ton of money and much more money than before going towards companies that are, are founded by women. And from the investor side, what you're saying is that more institutional funds and larger funds are adding their oftentimes their first female partner. Uh, many funds are expressing a real interest that's backed up by subsequent investment dollars going into uh, female-founded companies and companies targeting the female consumer. And uh, as Anu mentioned, you know, our some of our portfolio companies have have raised some of the largest rounds by female founders in recent memory. And I think it's a, it's a great indication that it's not just conversations around funding more women and putting more dollars towards female-founded companies, but it's real money moving toward it, in, in, into those companies. Absolutely. And, you know, if you, it's interesting because if you read the headlines, it, it does seem like female entrepreneurs are, are doing pretty good and like things are going really well and they're raising a lot of money. And I do wonder sometimes if that's the reality. I mean, what roadblocks do female entrepreneurs face and, and more specifically women of color face? So I think in terms of roadblocks, what we've seen across the board, both with male and female founders, is that, you know, it's very easy these days to get your your seed financing done or your series seed financing done. And by that, I mean, you know, raising the first, call it 750 from friends and family or the first two to two and a half million from seed funds. But what we've seen is that, you know, while there are way more pools of capital that are available at that stage, when you think about series A or series B, there's just not the same increase in in kind of options for capital. And so what we tend to find is that 
the metrics and the expectations in terms of growth to raise that Series A, Series B have just continued to go up over time. And so, you know, we encourage founders, particularly, you know, if we're leading or co-leading a financing to to really think about taking enough capital that will enable them to um, to reach the milestones that they you know need to achieve to get there. I think in terms of female founders and and you know women of color as well, I think what we've seen is somewhat of a shift in terms of the interest in in terms of investors that are looking at their businesses even one stage later than ours. I think you know, when you look at the success of companies like Stitch Fix, like Zola, like Glossier, I think male investors are recognizing that women consumers are incredibly important right. and right. that you can't ignore them because these companies have scaled. They've proven that they have product market fit and that they can generate real revenue. So I think four or five years ago, I think a lot of people looked at weddings or beauty and said, there's really not an opportunity to innovate in these categories. And I think that fast forward to today, they're they're definitely being taken seriously. Right, right. Well, that's that's incredible. And, you know, for someone who is listening to this and they're getting ready to pitch or they're getting ready to to go through this process, what are some specific things that have caught your interest? And do you have any stories you can share, good or bad, that really can give some advice about the pitch process? And Because I think the pitch process – while there's a lot of, you know, you can go to like pitch competitions and watch it. I think it's still a really scary thing or intimidating thing of how do you, how do you get this person to quickly understand and love your idea the way, the way you do? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think, you know, one of the things to, to remember about a pitch, even taking a little step back before you start pitching is to remember that you're sitting across the room from a person, right? And not a you know, a fund, a nameless entity or, or, you know, a, a check writing robot. Right. <laughs> and, and so this is about developing a relationship because the reality of taking money is that those investors are going to be with you for the long haul. And so you're going to be working with them for the next seven to 10 years, which means that you want a healthy collaborative relationship with these people. And the first place to start is when you're pitching them. I would also suggest that people think about their, their pitch as a story, right. And really tell the story of why they are the founder or they are the founding team to execute upon the specific vision of how the future of the world is going to look. Mm -hmm. We always look for, um, you know, as a fund, we're very founder focused, which means that we look um, and, and we very heavily diligence the founders and the founding teams that we, we invest in, but we look for specific characteristics like uh, resilience, the ability to sell, right, which is incredibly important, not only when you sell your investors, uh, your potential future investors, but when you sell potential new hires to the company, when you sell your product to potential customers, etc. So salesmanship, resilience, um, demonstration of something in their resume or in their prior experience that shows that they're capable of doing pretty extraordinary things. And so something historically that shows that they've demonstrated the ability to go above and beyond. And those are only a couple, but I'm sure I knew you have a ton more to, to add to that. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing I would add is, you know, when you, when you think about being able to, to talk to your investor, I think to your point, being able to, to articulate, you know, whether it's in one sentence or a few lines, uh, what you're doing is, is incredibly important. I think, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll meet founders and, and they'll kind of come up with a roundabout explanation and we'll walk away still not knowing exactly what they're doing. 
So I think that, you know, it, it sounds very simple, but being able to articulate what you're doing very clearly is important. Right. And I think lastly, you know, you are as a startup running a business. And if you don't have a firm grasp on the unit economics and the levers, which can really help you both accelerate the business as well as understand where there's room in your gross margins, for example, at scale, then, you know, that we, we find that incredibly important because, you know, it's, it's really building blocks of the business. And so I would say those, those are the other, you know, the only, the only other two things that I think immediately come to mind that, that I think as a founder, it's incredibly important to have a firm grasp on. Mm -hmm. And just to break that down, when you say, you know, levers and scale, um, an example might be, Hey, we could produce this product in a way that is, you know, saves us money, ships faster, does something so that our margins are higher and we can build a business, scale the business to more, right? Like that's someone who understands like, I guess the middle parts of, of not just like, hey, this is a great looking product that sits in my hand and it's branded great, but what about all the stuff that comes before it? Yeah, I would say just a breakdown of the costs, mm -hmm. right? So what is it, um, what is it going to cost you as the business owner to create this product? And if you create a hundred of them versus a hundred thousand, your cost eventually will go down over time mm -hmm. with volume. And so when you think about the complexion of your business five years from now, you want to be at scale. And so we want to understand and we want to make sure you understand that these costs can come down, that as you scale, mm -hmm. um, they become more attractive. And so that's really how we think about the breakdown of unit economics. Right. And I think it's I, I mean, I, I love when we kind of break down it, break it down a little bit, just because I want to make sure that if anybody is listening to this and they are thinking about doing it, they truly understand like this is the homework you have to do ahead of time. And I actually think this is great homework. You know, even if you worked at a company, like understanding how your company produces something and how they get to scale, you know, so it's I think it's really relevant information, regardless of if you're an entrepreneur or you work for an organization and, you know, both of those places, you you want to know, how does this work? I'm kind of curious, do you guys have any personal stories, um, like I said, good or bad, probably, probably stick to more good, of some really great pitches or someone who had like just an amazing, uh, amazing opening line to you or anything like that? You know, I, this isn't a pitch, but one of our more recent investments was in a company called, uh, is in a company called CoStar Astrology. And this introduction came to, to the both of us through LinkedIn, actually, when when the founder and CEO Banu emailed us. And it was and this is this is sort of an indication <laughs> for, for future founders that it doesn't always work, but sometimes the, the stars align in this way and that she she was building a AI driven astrology app and astrology happened to be one of the industries that we were interested in exploring further and her her email, because LinkedIn has those character limits, was just very concise and to the point around what she was building, why it was interesting, and what she was looking for as next steps. And it was a great opener that that led us to take the meeting and actually end up investing in the business. And so I think that's a really powerful example of, you know, cold emailing, but explaining the opportunity in a way to somebody who was open to that idea that that ultimately led to a really great outcome. Right. Yeah. Cold emailing done right, which is really important. <laughs> to, it's, to, it's hard. It's yeah, hard <laughs> it definitely is. And it's, it's funny. I was at a dinner with friends last night and one of them went to an astrologist and everybody at the table was like, tell me everything. So I, I'm not surprised that that cold email caught your eye. <laughs> um, That's amazing. And then, you know, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned LinkedIn because I 
Anu, I, I listened to you on another podcast where you said well, a great place to kind of keep up with investors and what they're interested in is Twitter. So it's, yes. it's you know, those are kind of these hacks that are really important to know is like, do your research and see what what they're interested in. And who knew Twitter would be the place just because I think sometimes people assume LinkedIn is more the professional network. Yeah. I mean, I think the venture capital community and the investor community is, is incredibly active on Twitter. And so, you know, as you're, you're kind of making that list or, or thinking through who makes sense to target, I think it can be a fantastic resource. And I think in addition to that, there's, there's also a few specific websites that actually list out, you know, women angels or investing groups that that focus on female founders. So there's actually a ton of resources out there as as founders get started on that journey. That's great. Well, I would definitely say one of the things that makes F3 also unique is your branding and community component, which I also think is really aligned with a lot of the companies that you guys have funded because their branding is fantastic. We actually had the founder, Billy, on uh, earlier, and we we basically picked apart her branding brain. So tell us why um, you're taking branding so seriously and and what about these great events? like, And, and how does that actually build the community component of, of a venture fund? Sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, from day one, um, I, my background is very much as an operator. And so anything I've ever done has been, you know, how do you, how do you build something that is differentiated and inspires trust from a community perspective? And I think coming into venture capital, there was definitely, I think, a big opportunity specifically in New York to bring people together in a way that I don't think was really being done. And there, there are two goals around, I think, community engagement for us. The first is it's really a way for us to foster relationships amongst our own founders where there's a ton of shared learning right. um, that they they can access from each other. And then I think secondly, we really think hard about the types of events that we put together. So whether it's office hours at Instagram or off the record press dinners or, you know, the monthly CEO breakfast that, that we host, it's all about giving them access to something that A, adds value to their business and B, they would have a hard time getting anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really been driving the core of our internal community events. I think externally, when we think about the events that we do for the broader New York community, it's, it's really about showcasing female founders and, you know, whether they're in our portfolio or not, there's some fantastic founders from so many different industries that are doing really innovative things and, and building really exciting businesses. And, and so it's, it helps to spotlight them. And I think, ultimately drives back our overall goal, which is that if you're a great female founder, we want to be the first place you come to when you're thinking about raising capital. Right, right. And be top of mind. That's that's a really smart. It's a, it's just a, I think it's an, another new approach to venture capital. And you guys are really not just disruptive in, you know, what type of companies, but also how you're doing it. Because I haven't, I know other venture funds and the big ones, but, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't tell you what their website or their branding looks like. You know, and when I think of you guys, I definitely have a very clear f- a picture in my mind. I want to move on to leadership advice since you see a lot of maybe first time CEOs, maybe, maybe they're, they've been a CEO before, um, but managers and, and everything else that comes through your office. So what are three, if you had to break it down, what are three of the most common challenges that you see when it comes to leadership? I'd say one of the the common challenges with leadership is that, well, the reality, especially for first time CEOs is that you don't know what you, well, you know what you don't know, and you also don't know what you don't know. And so I think 
most people would benefit from having a, a leadership coach or an executive coach, but certainly at the seed stages and when you're resource constrained, and that's not not possible. The best thing that new CEOs can do is find a mentor who's not who's not that much further along than they are, but find a person that they can talk to consistently who has a company that, you know, maybe is operating a year or two ahead of them and ask them questions and, and really understand how they are growing their companies and they're also growing their own capacities as leaders. I think that's one of the most important things and in terms of being able to have a model and have have a pattern to grow against. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say um, it's interesting. We had one of our CEO breakfasts yesterday morning with with Mark Lore from Walmart. And it's really it was an opportunity for for founders to, to ask questions and and one that kept coming up was around hiring. Yeah, and, I bet. <laughs> you know, as a CEO, that's a massive part of your job. And, you know, the, the question that kept coming up was, when do you know that it's time to fire someone? And I think, again, in a small company, as the CEO and leader, you often will will kind of keep someone on longer than than you should. And I think that's largely due to the fact that, you know, you you feel like the company can't function without that person. But at the end of the day, the realization that, you know, most CEOs have is that the sooner you can kind of let that person go and bring on someone that's better suited for the job, the better. And, you know, time and time again, the these CEOs will say, you know, I, I just wish I'd done it sooner. Right. Um, and so I think that's something that, you know, a lot of our founders face and and have kind of come to us time and time again saying, you know, wish I had done it sooner. And, and, and it's, you know, one of those things that's hard to do, but ultimately is becomes the right decision. Right. Right. Those, those are always tough decisions. I think, especially when you have a smaller team, because what if that person is also, you know, really good friends with five other people now firing them is, is disrupting five other things. And I'm sure for founders, not that it's, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really, I'm sure it's very hard. And also, you know, it's disruptive to like the growth, the overall growth and some of the things that they would rather focus their time on. But we all know if you don't focus on your team and your people, exactly. you know, so it, it is a little bit of a, I mean, it's fantastic that you guys have those resources because I mean, I'm a first time CEO and it's hard. It's really hard. And I do think having a network of people who you can say, I'm sort of, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Just having the uh, the ability to bounce the idea off of somebody. And I, and I don't know if this is just a female thing, but like be able to collaborate and brainstorm with somebody else about the idea is extremely helpful. It kind of helps to make sure that you're not far too far reaching. Or as you said, maybe it's that your gut is telling you you should fire that person. And now you just got the confirmation that, and that feels good. So yeah, I can imagine that's a, that's a challenge for sure. So if someone's listening and thinking that venture capital is the career for them, so they, they basically want to be you guys, what's their next move? That's that's a great question. <laughs> so venture capital is a little bit of a, a smaller industry. It's like the weird cousin of, of private equity, though it is technically, um, you know, within the private equity realm. I'd say, you know, the first thing to to do when you think about considering venture capital as a career is to, to learn more about it. Brad Feld has a great book called Venture Deals that, you know, I think first time entrepreneurs or, you know, potential VCs should read. And then joining, I think joining the the venture capital and not really the venture capital, but the startup ecosystem in the city or geography that you're in is always super helpful. There's organizations like SheWorks that often feature VCs on, a, I think it might be a weekly or, or monthly basis who come and talk to that their community group. There's organizations like Parity Partners here in New York that promote career growth within private equity that for, for women, I think it's always a good idea to join. And so I think the first step is really to 
to use the resources at your disposal and learn more about the industry and then join the communities where you're more likely to get net networked with VCs. Right. Yeah, I heard I've heard this actually multiple times that if you want to pitch to VC, it's great to have the introduction. So find somebody, you know, network with the right people who can then make you the introduction. And I don't know if, if you guys would agree with that, but that's I've I've heard that advice a few times. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, the other trend that we're seeing, particularly, you know, I would say actually both in New York as well as in in the Bay Area is that you're definitely seeing people with operating backgrounds uh, join some of the the larger, more institutional funds. So I think that, you know, there are, there are a couple of different ways you can you can enter. So first is obviously starting out as an analyst or, you know, an associate at at one of these funds. I think second is, you know, kind of coming in through the product side of things. Mm, so smart. working at, you know, a Google or a Facebook and as Sutian said, net- networking your way into the industry. And then I think third, what we're seeing is former startup CEOs or founders who are either starting their own funds or joining funds. So it's not, you don't, I think it's one of those paths um, can work, but it definitely takes a lot of networking and 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 really, you know, those coffees with folks in the industry to to kind of figure out what um, what type of fund you're interested in and and what type of community you want to be a part of. Right. Well, my last question before we move into rapid fire is, and this is a bit of a doozy, is how do you guys define success both personally and professionally? Sure, I can start. So, I mean, I think for me, you know, again, I, I come from more of a entrepreneurial background. And so to me, success for this fund really, I think, would look like us being able to demonstrate that it is possible to have a portfolio that's 100% female founded and to deliver great returns to our investors. That's actually never been done. And I think would would really send a very powerful message to the rest of the investing community in terms of paying attention to the fact that women can can build massive businesses and, and eventually deliver great returns. So that that inspires me every day from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I think, you know, I I invest a lot in my work, but equally, you know, whether it's family or friends or just really contributing to the to the community, you know, in New York is incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. And Sutian? And for me, I'll I'll take the uh, a broader uh, answer. Um, I think success and, and feeling successful for me can be incremental. And so, at the end of the day, when you think about well, whether this was a successful day or not, I think about the alignment of one, what you are good at, right? Two, what you're passionate about, and three, what is good for the world, right? And I think that applies both personally and professionally. And I think if you continue to do those things that that check all three of those boxes, it feels like success on on all fronts, right? Mm-hmm. Net better for the world, something you're super passionate about and uh, excited about and, and something that you can contribute meaningfully towards. Right. Well, and it, I asked the question too, because, you know, the definition of success, you know, is painted in a really traditional sense, but, you know, we're, we're definitely, and not just we as in women, but I think we as, you know, this 2018, 2019 right now, success is starting to really take new shapes. And at Career Contessa, we truly believe, you know, it should, we want you to help you build a successful career and however you define success. But sometimes that's really challenging for people because defining success is also, it's tough and it's going to change. I think that's probably the most important thing is like your definition of success or what you're looking for to feel successful is going to ebb and flow with life as well. It's it's an interesting question always to, to kind of reflect on. And I'm sure you guys have a lot of 
founders who who think about it in terms of you know success for like products and company and but it's it's also as you you said Sutian like what's good for the world you know what's good for you what's giving you energy what you're passionate about all that stuff is really important to think about as well definitely definitely Okay, so some rapid fire. These are always really fun. They're short or one word answers and um, you can both answer. So the first one is the company or trend you're obsessed with right now. Personal so skincare. I, per, personal skincare. <laughs> That's my rapid fire. And Anu? Yeah, so mine I would say is um, women's health. Okay. I, I was wondering if one of you was going to say astrology now. <laughs> it's like now I've really <laughs> gotten into astrology. Okay, if you were not an, an investor, what would you be? I would be in the CIA. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> she would totally be in the CIA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I would be an interior decorator. Those are such different answers, which is probably why you guys make a very good team. Um, because one of you is <laughs> thinking about the CIA, one of you is thinking about interior design. I love that. When I say women supporting women, you think of? Female Founders Fund. <laughs> of course. You took my answer. and then how do you guys plan to disrupt your career in 2019 Uh, I think we'll continue to do things that no other fund has done and so disrupting venture capital as a whole disrupting what it means to to be partners in DC Mm -hmm. awesome and Anu would you you probably would echo that right Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think on a personal level, I am hoping to disrupt my career by getting a hobby while having a little bit more work-life balance in 2019. I understand that. Career Contessa was my passion project. And now that it's my full-time job, I'm like, I got to find a passion project. I need to find a hobby, you know, like desperately. So I totally understand that. Uh, feeling 100%. So, well, Anu and Sutian, thank you for joining us today and giving us all the lesson in Venture Capital 101. This has been incredibly insightful. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for for having us. That was Anu, Dougal, and Sutian Dong, the power duo behind Female Founders Fund and Women Disrupting Venture Capital. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. We're so grateful to hear from you and we read every single review. One that we got recently was from a girl named Mac on iTunes. And she recently said, with so many great podcast options, I can guarantee people won't regret making this a part of their weekly commute. Lauren's a no BS interviewer and the guests are unique and informed. Thank you so much. And if you want to hear your review on the show, you know what to do. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes or head over to careercontessa.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to uplevel your career. It's free and it can change your life. I'll be back next Tuesday with Lauren Smith Brody, author of The Fifth Trimester. But until then, you can follow us on at careercontessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. And then the other thing is what I was saying earlier. I wanted everyone, everyone who ever hears me give a talk or anybody who reads my book, I want them to know that, yes, I can help you through these other, you know, through this network of women. I can help you figure out how to move up in your workplace and change policy. But it is just as important to just stay in, put one foot in front of the other, get your job done, but ask for what you need, the flexibility you need, and be open about the challenges because we cannot solve a problem we cannot see. 